This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin this week. We take a look at some possible motives and objectives. UBS is buying embattled Credit Suisse Bank. The marriage between the country's two largest banks came after swift intervention from government regulators. We have details into what made the merger possible. Former President Trump says he's expecting to be arrested tomorrow and calls for protests. We have reactions to his unprecedented prediction. The magic of seeds. Who hasn't experienced the joy of success or the bitterness of defeat that planting seeds can bring? Learn about a man who travels the world on a mission to preserve rare seeds from distant mountain regions and hidden valleys. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, March 20th. And former President Trump called for protests over the weekend. That's because he's expecting to be arrested tomorrow. Reactions spread after Trump posted about it on social media. It would be the first time in U.S. history that a former president was criminally charged. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the response. Former President Trump says he expects to be arrested Tuesday in Manhattan in an investigation that alleges he paid and covered up hush money to pornographic actress Stormy Daniels during his 2016 campaign. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reacted on Twitter saying, no one is above the law, not even a former president of the United States. Senator Elizabeth Warren echoed that sentiment in a televised interview on Sunday. Some Republican lawmakers say the potential indictment is politically motivated. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called it an outrageous abuse of power and vowed to direct committees to investigate any use of federal funds that facilitate the perversion of justice by Soros-backed DAs. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted that it's how communist countries behave and predicted a landslide victory for Trump in the 2024 presidential election if indicted, an opinion Elon Musk also shared. Governor Chris Sununu says it will drastically change the paradigm going into 2024. I think it's building a lot of sympathy uh, for the former president. Trump denies the allegations and called the investigation by Democrat DA Alvin Bragg a witch hunt. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Joining me now to discuss all this is Mark Ruskin. He is a former assistant district attorney for Brooklyn and was once an FBI special agent. Good morning, Mark. Good to have you. Good morning, Evelyn. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Trump made a pretty specific prediction. Can you please first talk about how likely it is that he actually will be arrested tomorrow? Well, he certainly may be arrested tomorrow, but I think what the his team has done now is they've taken a very proactive stance, and they've essentially taken the wind out of D.A. Alden Bragg's uh, hands by announcing this in advance. So if Bragg was expecting to surprise the world on Tuesday, with a sudden arrest, now a very carefully planned defense has taken that and made it already known to the public, and now it's going to be an anti-surprise. It, kind of, it won't be a, a surprise at all on Tuesday when it, uh, if there is an indictment handed down. 
Right, that's a really interesting point because Trump is also saying that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, is acting out of political motivation. Now, what kind of evidence do you see for that and what's the evidence specifically, uh, well, generally against Trump right now? Well, right now we don't know what evidence they're planning to present, but we do know that, that uh, Trump's team is going to be fighting this with a lot of procedural um, uh, issues, such as, for example, the statute of limitations may have expired. There are all kinds of details which they'll be able to utilize to undermine the uh, prosecution. So I think that uh, the district attorney's office here has really maybe gone a little bit uh, too far in terms of uh, what they're capable of handling and may be surprised by the uh, reaping the whirlwind as it is with the reaction that they're going to find. And it's going to be, I suspect, much stronger than they had anticipated and much more negative than they have anticipated. Mm. Now, this would definitely be unprecedented in U.S. history, as mentioned. Now, what are the implications if he was indicted and, you know, what would happen to what would happen to his 2024 run for presidency? Well, I, I suspect that this will be over. But before we get to that point, there are a lot of uh, issues that the president's legal team can bring up including even the jurisdiction. I mean, does the district attorney's office in Manhattan even have jurisdiction? Again, the statute of limitations may have expired. Uh, is there things such as, for example, Trump's team may re re try to remove this, they may seek to remove this to federal courts, to have it transferred to a federal court based on a number of issues, such as perhaps whether or not the president could even have a fair hearing in the New York courts. So there are a, a, a number of things which can be done to try and even bringing it to the Supreme Court in an accelerated and expedited manner so that the decision is reached prior to there being any negative impact politically for the president or the ex-president. Right. Now, really quick before we go, based on your estimate, estimation, like how do you think this all will play out this week? I suspect that the perception is going to be that it is politically motivated and that while the president may be arrested, I don't think there'll be any SWAT teams coming to Mar-a-Lago to, uh, to uh, pick him, to arrest him. This is all going to be done uh, by phone and appointment and so forth. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for your insights. Mark Ruskin, I appreciate it this morning. My pleasure. On to some international affairs, Chinese leader Xi Jinping's meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin is aimed at furthering the CCP's designs against the United States. That's what some analysts say about Xi's visit to Moscow. The visit is his first to the country since Putin's February 2022 invasion. It was announced not long after the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Putin for war crimes. The meeting comes as Russia slowly makes advances to capture the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. The bloody battle has led to massive losses on both sides, especially the Russians. Analyst Madhav Nalapat says Putin is under pressure from his commanders to unleash, quote, the full fury of Russian weapons against Ukraine. This, while China expert Frank Lieberger says the rushed arrangement is because the Russian military is on the brink of collapse. Lieberger believes Xi has plans to take over Taiwan in 2025. A prolonged Russia-Ukraine conflict could be used by the CCP to weaken the U.S. and other Western powers. 
NSC spokesperson John Kirby reacted to the visit on Fox News Sunday. There's no question that both China and Russia, and this is right out in the national security strategy, are two countries that are chafing against this international rules-based order that the United States and so many of our allies and partners have built up since the end of World War II. Uh, they, don't, they don't like that. They'd like to rewrite the rules of the game uh, globally. If coming out of this meeting, there's some sort of call for a ceasefire, well, that's just going to be unacceptable because all that's going to do, Mike, is ratify Russia's conquest to date. Him going to Moscow at this time um, provides a really important signal of his continued support for Putin. And of course, that is designed uh, to show the United States in particular that these two countries are aligned, that they have this deep partnership, and that they stand in opposition to the United States. And so I do think that Xi Jinping does have an incentive to be seen as a power broker. Kiev, Washington, Brussels are, are beginning also to think about what the world looks like after the war, what Ukraine looks like uh, after the war. There is going to be a lot of work to be done uh, on uh, reconstruction. She and Putin will meet for one-on-one -on -one talks to dine together today, then hold further negotiations and issue a statement tomorrow. Chinese leader Xi departs on Wednesday. The meeting comes in the wake of Beijing brokering a resumption of full diplomatic relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And a former Taiwanese president will visit China next week. It's the first time ever for any current or former Taiwanese leader to visit China since the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. Ma Zhou plans to visit China for 12 days beginning March 27th. He was president before current leader Tsai Ing-wen. As a senior member of the opposition party, Ma is still influential. No current Taiwanese officials are expected to be part of the delegation. Ma will visit five cities, but Beijing is not on the list. A spokesman for Ma called the visit an effort to ease tensions between the self-ruled island and the mainland. His office did not say if he would meet any Chinese officials or regime leaders, including Xi Jinping. But people familiar with the matter told local media the heads of the cities and provinces he will be visiting will meet with him. Those are not mayors or governors, but Communist Party secretaries. Regime leader Kim Jong-un today called for North Korea to stand ready to conduct nuclear attacks at any time to deter war. In comments carried by state media, Kim accused the U.S. and South Korea of expanding military drills involving American nuclear assets. State Television Today released photos showing him overseeing the North's latest missile test with his daughter. It's the latest in a flurry of weapons tests by Pyongyang in recent weeks as the U.S. and South Korea continue a month of their annual combined military drills. The North has reacted furiously to the drills, calling them a rehearsal for an invasion against it. Colonel Isaac Taylor, a spokesman for U.S. Forces Korea, says the drills are routine and purely defensive. Investment banking company UBS is buying its troubled rival Credit Suisse. This after some swift intervention from Swiss government regulators. The historic deal is worth over $3 billion. Shareholders will receive one UBS share for roughly every 22 Credit Suisse shares they own. They are also taking a massive hit. The offer price is around 60% less than Credit Suisse's closing price was on Friday. The Swiss government mediated the merger and is banking, backing it with a guarantee. 
It could help prevent what would have been one of the largest banking collapses since the fall of Lehman Brothers in 2008. Here's what a law professor had to say about the shotgun banking marriage. Swiss regulators have essentially uh, engineered this deal. Clearly there is a will to uh, make sure that shareholders uh, absorb a significant amount of, um, of losses. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's reported that the Swiss National Bank is providing 100, 100 billion in liquidity. Uh, the government is providing a $9 billion backstop. The focus is on containment. Um, and that would have been a concern that would be shared at that point, not just by uh, the Swiss, but by uh, regulators and central bankers around the world. UBS will assume well over $5 billion in losses. The deal is expected to close by the end of 2023. Some of the world's largest central banks came together yesterday to stop a potential banking crisis from spreading. The group includes the Federal Reserve, the Swiss National Bank, and the European Central Bank. They are joined by banks of Canada, England, and Japan. They announced coordinated actions to enhance market liquidity. That's to ensure lenders have enough money to operate. Meanwhile, researchers from several U.S. universities report close to 200 U.S. banks risk collapse. That's if half of their customers with uninsured deposits were to withdraw their money. Deposits over $250,000 are that, uh, those that considered uninsured. And lawmakers, protesters, supporters and children all came together at a drag queen story time event this weekend. The organizer was New York Attorney General Letitia James. And Wyoming becomes the first state to ban abortion pills specifically. The new law carries some hefty fines and punishment. Find out more about the penalties and when the law comes into effect after the break. Welcome back. Wyoming has become the first state to ban abortion pills specifically. Republican Governor Mark Gordon has signed a bill into law that prohibits them. It's set to take effect on July 1st. That's if it doesn't face legal challenges along the way. Anyone who violates the new law will be guilty of a misdemeanor. It will be punishable by up to six months in prison, a fine up to $9,000 or both. The law does not ban contraceptives, morning-after pills, or IUDs. The pills are already banned in 13 states with blanket bans on all forms of abortion. 15 states have limited access to abortion pills. Both protesters and supporters showed up for Attorney General Letitia James' Drag Story Hour event on Sunday. The event has stirred controversy and critics complain that it's tax dollars paying for the drag performers to read stories to children. The events are co-sponsored by the nonprofit Drag Story Hour NYC. The association has received more than $200,000 in city contracts since 2018. Sunday's event reportedly involved a couple dozen kids with their families inside. At least six city lawmakers showed up. Police say an anti-drag protester was arrested for assaulting a pro-drag agitator. And NYPD Motorcycles escorted an alleged member of the Proud Boys organization to safety during the demonstration. I spoke to Aldo Barazzoni, who is a freelance journalist and PragerU personality. He went to a few drag events himself, so I asked him what his experience was and also about his take on the whole situation. Well, you know, there, there's a certain level of tolerance that you have to have in a free society for people engaging in behavior that you deem inappropriate. 
But this isn't about what I deem inappropriate. This is about, as a society, what we are deeming appropriate for children to be exposed to. And there's many things that we have put on that list, consuming alcohol, pornography, even R-rated movies, even M-rated video games. But this has been exempt from that list because they're hosting these events under the gay pride flag. But this isn't about gay pride. This isn't about gay rights. This is about predatory adults who are exposing themselves in an inappropriate manner to children. And, you know, I hear the the argument a lot when I go to these events and when I'm covering them from parents who bring their kids. They say, well, you don't need to find this appropriate, but I'm allowed to bring my kid here. But I counter that with, again, there's many things in a society that we deem no parent should be able to expose their kids to. And, and this, I think, should be one of them. And we have to remember, these are adult men that are that are dressing up in women's prosthetics in front of children. And the question I have for these parents and for these people that are advocating for this is, why are these adult men so eager to be around children and why do you, you want them around your kids? Hmm. And about those arguments, because they, the, there are arguments uh, from the other side that do, I want to go in a little more detail about that. So that say drag queen story hours and you know those other events, they introduce kids to queer role models and they teach tolerance. Now, what do you think? Right. Well, this is really just the slippery slope of this whole acceptance and tolerance movement. Um, but again, these are predatory adults who are hiding under that, who are hiding behind this whole tolerance and acceptance uh, to be around little kids. And again, if you want to do the drag queen story hour with adults, whatever, that's not the problem. But um, my question really is, why do you need to be around kids? Why is that an integral part uh, of this of this whole thing and what we've seen across the country and I've been covering this these events for over two years These are adults who many times you look on their social medias and they have they're smoking drugs or they're they're in inappropriate settings um, And I really don't think that it's appropriate for for kids to be exposed to this stuff um, Like I said, it's not about the gay rights. It's not about gay pride uh, This is just about keeping our children safe and being very cautious about what they're exposed to Right, and you went to a couple of those uh, drag events, including the one recently at the LA Zoo. Can you describe really quick what it was like there? Yeah, well, like, like you said, this was at the LA Zoo. They were uh, advertising and selling tickets to toddlers under the age of two, as well as other kids. But uh, this was a very highly sexually charged event. Um, this was this had no place for kids. This was not family friendly, despite what the event host would have you believe. And this it goes to show. I, I asked them at the beginning of the show, "Hey, is this family friendly?" They said there was nothing sexually charged about this. I asked the same question at the end of the show, uh, and they tried to get me kicked out of the park. So if that tells you anything about what they thought about the show, um, I think it spoke volumes. Thank you so much, Aldo Berazzoni. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up, most people have tried planting seeds at some point in their life, whether it be tree or a cucumber plant, and have experienced the joy or frustration it can bring. Coming up here, you'll hear about a man and his mission to preserve rare seeds from around the world. And tens of thousands of people gathered in western Massachusetts this weekend to attend the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. This year, the city of Holyoke is celebrating its 70th event. We take a look right after the break. Good to have you back with us. Seeds have captivated mankind for millennia. The simple but profound magic of sun, earth, and water have nourished dreams and even powered empires. 
In our next segment, you'll learn how a childhood spent in the fertile soil of an Oregon valley grew into a mission to save and preserve rare seeds from all over the world. Emerald green kale and asparagus, violet blackberries, the deep orange hues of a pumpkin patch. Jer Gettle spent his childhood surrounded by colorful abundance. First in Oregon, where his Mexican-born grandmother grew the crops of her childhood, then to Montana, and finally to Missouri, where his family settled on a 176-acre property. Always been my dream, even as a small child, to someday work with seeds. Growing up with a family who gardened, um, I just naturally fell in love with gardening and seed saving. As a boy, Jer was deeply intrigued by all the colorful vegetables and flowers. He enjoyed growing unique crops like scallop squash and banana melon. His dream to work with a seed company soon took root. And before Jer knew it, Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company was a reality, and with it, a mission to preserve rare seeds from all over the planet. Um, whether it's, you know, something from the Amazon region to uh, varieties from China or India or Russia or, you know, France or United Kingdom or so forth, or varieties right here that are local in our backyard. To Jer, seeds are more than just a part of the food process. To him, they represent a story, the place they come from, the people they have fed. So it's kind of a uh, bringing history alive through our food, basically, and the stories of our food and the stories of our families and cultures. It's a passion that even war can't disrupt. Jer grew the Alibaba watermelon from seeds sent by a man in war-torn Iraq who feared the beloved crop would be lost. According to Jer, it was the best-tasting watermelon they'd ever grown. Jer's passion takes him all over the globe. Especially in the mountainous areas of Southeast Asia or Europe or Mexico, and going up in the mountainous areas, um, even here in the U.S., the mountainous areas tend to be the areas where people are still growing the old varieties. As for Jer's five kids, he says they're all different, but share a common thread. The kids love being outside and gardening and looking, you know, looking for, you know, insects and creatures in the garden. It's always fun to look for frogs and birds and various things outside. I think that's half the fun of gardening is, you know, connecting with nature and connecting the family together outside. As Jer tells it, keeping kids off devices and out in Mother Nature is key to their happiness. What did he find most rewarding? The first time I planted pink dandelions and watched the, you know, pink dandelions come up and bloom in the garden for the first time, or, you know, see a new variety of tulip or a new tomato and get to taste it for the first time. The Baker Creek website now attracts over a million users per month, and the company handles about a million orders per year. And according to Jer, the future looks bright. Every country is seeing a resurgence in interest in uh, traditional varieties and telling their stories. And it's really exciting to see the abundance that they produce. The stories of their past and their history through their food. Oh, how nice. He makes a good point, you know, about keeping kids off devices and out in the nature. But, you know, makes me want to go out and plant something myself, too. Yeah, with your green thumb, right? But, you know, if I were going to plant something, it would have to be that exotic Alibaba watermelon from Iraq. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to grow in my apartment, though. I might need a little more square footage. But, you know, Evelyn, I used to grow these little sunflower spouts with the grow light. Mm, yeah. Nice. And it worked? Yeah, it was really good. There was, like, nutty flavor and everything. Mm, maybe something to try out. Yeah. 
So in the western city of Holyoke in western Massachusetts celebrated its 70th St. Patrick's Day Parade this weekend. The event comes after months of preparation and drew in tens of thousands of people. Let's take a look. The Holyoke St. Patrick's Day Parade in Massachusetts is always a big attraction. Festivities took place over the weekend. This year, despite cold temperatures and heavy wind chill, the parade's 70th anniversary drew in a diverse crowd. Tens of thousands of people wrapped up warm to attend the popular annual event, including local officials, police and fire departments. Oh, I had a great day. It was a great march to be in Holyoke. I love this city. I've been here my whole life. And uh, the, 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 the people out there were fantastic. Everything was great. The, uh, the, the bands were great. The, the entertainment was great. The people along the streets were so happy to celebrate, no matter where you come from. They celebrated this day uh, in the city of Holyoke. So I'm really blessed to be here. The city's mayor says the event is about coming together and building community pride. It's a beautiful day. We got people from all over the world visiting Holyoke in Western Massachusetts. And I just hope that everyone is having a great time, having fun and building together. So that's what it's about. This is my 50th parade. I was president 50 years ago and uh, I've been Grand Marshal. I think every parade is great. The weather could be better, but it doesn't stop us. In traditional Irish fashion, the event included corned beef and cabbage, as well as a large variety of ales and beers. Cost MNS, NTD News. You know, I've never been to a St. Patrick's Parade Day parade ever. Oh, really? Well, you should. They're yeah, a lot of fun. because now I feel like I'm missing out. It looks really great. I know. I love those old colonial costumes <laughs> that they wear. Right. Yeah. All right. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you want. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.